were talking about this in our staff meeting a while back, how life groups are really the lifeblood of this church. I just, I think I may have shared this with you before, but I feel like sharing it again. There have been many times on a Sunday evening when I'm, y'all, I'm tired. I'm just really tired, and I just want to go to bed, and I want to stay in my comfy clothes at home that evening, you know, and just hang out and veg, but every time I push through that and I go to life group, I, I walk away, and me and Allison, we, we look at each other when we get in the car, and we say, both say, we needed that. We needed that. God designed us to need community with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, to learn God's word, but to walk through life together. And we do offer those opportunities for you. So I believe there's some cards on the chairs around you that have some information about life groups, uh, or you can grab one from the table at the back and just learn a little bit more about what's going on in our church in that respect. If you have your copy of God's Word, turn to John's Gospel, chapter 5. John 5 is where we are, and we are continuing this series called The Signs. So whenever I meet someone that asks me, and I, I do get asked this every now and then, hey, where would you recommend that I start reading the Bible? Maybe they're not familiar with the Bible, or maybe they haven't picked it up in years, I always point people to John's gospel. And the reason being John, the apostle John, who literally walked with Jesus, does an incredible job of offering this very clear and vivid picture of who Jesus is, the person and the work of Jesus Christ our Lord. And part of the way John does this is he recounts these seven specific miracles of Jesus. Now, the, the Gospels teach us that Jesus did many more than seven miracles. In fact, he did so many miracles that were not even recorded in the Scriptures, the Bible says. But John seems to focus on these seven miracles. And what we really see in each of these miracles is we learn a little bit more about Jesus. Before we approach God's Word this morning, let's just take a moment to be reminded all of this is about Jesus. Truly, it is. This building was built in the 1800s for Jesus. Downtown church was founded for Jesus. We gather and we sing and we read scripture and we go to life groups and we have all these ministries and things going on in the community for the glory of Jesus. That's why we're here. Amen, church? If we can't agree on that, then why are we here, right? We are here to the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. So as we're going through this study, we're, we're reading about these pretty fantastic things that took place, where Jesus did these truly miraculous things about 2,000 years ago. A temptation is to read these accounts and think, well, that was cool back then. I want to encourage you, the Lord is at work today. He is. He is very much at work in our world today. And so I hope you leave today being encouraged and ready to accept the Lord's working in your heart and in your life today as we go throughout our week. Amen? 
So with that being said, let's go to the Word of God together. If this is your first time here at Downtown Church, we stand for the initial reading of God's Word. So would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, reads, Now there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic, Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walked. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. For years, atheists, evolutionists, and really anyone who doubts the historicity, the accuracy of the scriptures, what they try to do is they try to poke holes in the scriptures. And the game plan for that is fairly simple. What they do is they read the Bible, they take note of historical details of scientific information, anything that they can grab, and then they go and they look around the world today and they try to find ways to disprove those historical and scientific information bits of information that we see in the scriptures. So in this story, there's a location that is described by the apostle John. And he makes this claim that this miracle takes place at a specific spot in Jerusalem. And it says that it's near the opening of the sheep gate, which means that it's along the wall, the outskirts of the city of Jerusalem, and there's a break in the wall somewhere. So evolutionists, atheists, whoever, they're looking at that like, okay, let's look for the break in the wall. Then they start looking for the five-roofed colonnade and the pool that was there, and they can't find anything like it. So here's what they started doing. They started saying, hey, look, see, John lied. The gospels lie. And so they say you can't trust God's word. In 1888, there was an archaeological dig in Jerusalem, and Y'all, they found it. They found this spot. 
this location. They dug up and found the pool, and with the pool, they found the columns that held up the five-roofed colonnade. I share that to say, one, that's pretty neat, but two, this is real. This is an accurate depiction of what Christ did. In church, we're not just learning a history lesson this morning. We are relishing in the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, including infirmities and diseases and lameness in this life. Amen? Amen. All right, so there's three parts to this story that we're going to look at this morning. The first part is what we're going to call the pool for healing. The pool for healing. Look at verses 2 and 3. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Okay, so when Jesus arrives at this pool in Jerusalem, he he witnesses a pretty humbling sight. It's a very crowded place. It's along the outskirts of town. And he walks up and he sees a lot of people huddled up right here. But it wasn't just people. These were desperate people. These were invalids, as the Bible calls them. Some were blind, literally couldn't see. Some were lame, some were paralyzed. And so they're all huddled up around this pool, but why? Why were they huddled around this small little body of water on the outskirts of town? Scholars believe that this pool was fed by springs, and so it would have been kind of uh, flowing into the bottom of this pool. And so there was a legend going around. Because what would happen is people would come to these waters that were still, but every now and then the waters would stir. They'd start moving around. And so people started wondering what's going on. But the truth is, what was going on was uh, uh, scientists and believers that are scientists believe what was going on was that there was a natural uh, underground spring feeding into this pool. And so there would be these surges of water moving the water. But the rumors going around was it's an angel. An angel of God has come down and they kind of stir the waters every now and then. And word on the street was if you were the first one in the pool after the water has been stirred then you would be healed. And so everyone in that region believed this. And so they were all huddling around this pool waiting, waiting for a miracle. And this is the scene Jesus walks up to. And one man in particular stands out to the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 5. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Here's my personal opinion. I think Jesus walked up and saw this crowd and saw this hopeless sight. And I think he spotted the most hopeless man there. He, he picks out the one that has been an invalid for 38 years. And so that means for almost four decades, this man has not been able to walk on his own. Now, we don't know if he was born this way or if there was an accident when he was younger. But regardless, for 38 years, this man has been an invalid. 
Now keep in mind, this was before things like wheelchairs or electric scooters or handicapped entrances or the American uh, Disability Act. Okay, this was before all of that. And I, I want to be clear, I'm not making light of anyone that is disabled today. It's a very hard thing to deal with even today. But in the days in the culture that this man lived, he was truly hopeless. He had to rely on everyone around him. Some believed that maybe there was a group of people that would pick him up and carry him and sit him by the pool. And then at the end of the day, they would pick him up and take him back to his home for 38 years. It's a long time. Some believe that maybe he crawled there. He used his arms and kind of army crawled, dragging himself through the dirt and grime beside this pool. And at the end of the day, baking out in the sun, he climbs back to his home. He crawls back home. I know most of us uh, can't really relate in the complete sense with this man, but there actually are some similarities between he and us. This man was experiencing a form of brokenness. He was experiencing brokenness because he lived in a fallen world. In church, you and I are no different. We experience forms of brokenness because we live in a fallen world. I want to share with you a few ways that we might experience brokenness in this world. We experience things like physical brokenness. The Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He said, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Okay, there's an encouragement there. He tells the church, he tells Christians, hey, be encouraged. Your inner self is not wasting away. It's actually being renewed day by day. But then he says, but by the way, your outer self, your body, yeah, that is wasting away. If you don't believe me, just walk in your local CVS. Uh, you know, it's filled with things for our aching, ailing bodies, right? You got eye drops and allergy pills and inflammatory medicines and heartburn medicines and wraps and braces and you name it. And why do we need those things? Because our outer bodies are wasting away. That'll bless you, right? However, the truth is we all deal with a physical brokenness in this world. We also deal with emotional brokenness. I found this interesting. So the leading disability in the United States for people between the ages of 15 and 44 is actually depression. That is the leading cause of disability in our nation between the ages of 15 and 44. It's not bad backs. It's not crippled legs. It's not bad eyesight. It's emotional distress. It's emotional pain. We feel emotional brokenness in this life, do we not? We could spend hours just going around the room, sharing about the emotional brokenness that we've all experienced in this life. We lastly experience a relational brokenness. I don't even have to ask you to raise your hands. I think I know the answer to this. 
Has someone ever betrayed your trust? Has someone ever hurt you? Has someone ever spread rumors about you? Has someone ever done something that really hurt you badly on an emotional level? The the truth is we've all experienced this in some way. We are tattered with these emotional scars. And maybe you're feeling that right now this morning as you walk into this building. You can put on the smile, but emotionally you're a wreck. We all experience this emotional brokenness. I share all this to say we might not be huddled around a pool this morning, but I think it's safe to say we are all broken. We are all in this broken world feeling the effects of being in a broken world. I love that song that that asks a series of questions followed by a succinct answer. And one of the questions it asks is, do you feel the world is broken? We do, right? We do feel that the world is broken. Which brings us to the second part of this story. Number one was the pool for healing. Number two is the process for the healing. Look at verse six. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Okay, Jesus asked a question where the answer is pretty obvious. Yes. Yes, this guy really wants to be healed. Every day for 38 years, he's either army crawling there or having someone carry him there. Why? To be healed. He wants to be healed. And so a conversation ensues between Jesus and this man. And as this conversation ensues, we see a process begin to unfold. And the first step in the process we see is this. Recognize your limitations. Recognize your limitations. Look at verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Okay, so this guy only perceives one way. There's only one way he could be healed. It wasn't by medicine. Tried that. It wasn't by home remedies. Tried that. Physical therapy, not working. He's tried it all. And nothing is helping him get over this issue that he's dealing with. And he recognizes he needs help. He needs a touch. Specifically, he feels that he needs a touch from heaven. A touch from God. So what does he do? Every day. He goes by this pool, and every day he's waiting to see that water swirl. And every day he's hoping, hoping he can crawl and fall into this pool somehow at the exact right time. And y'all, it obviously hasn't worked. He's hoping for a miracle. So even though this man was off about the angel stirring the waters, He was right about one thing. He needed the Lord to intervene. He needed the Lord to reach down and touch his life and help him in ways that no one else could. And in that, he recognizes his limitations. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you're not lame or paralyzed or blind. 
but you're, you're feeling broken. There's some kind of brokenness in your life that is really beyond you, and at times it's really overwhelming you, and you don't know what to do about it. Maybe it is a physical brokenness. Maybe your body can't do things the way it used to be able to do them, and you're, you're broken over that. Maybe it's emotional brokenness. Of all the topics that I find myself counseling church members on through the years, the most prevalent one, I'd say one, marriage difficulties, but two, anxiety. Anxiety, it seems, is at an all-time high. Whether that's true or not, I'm not sure, but I know it's, it's real. And I know a lot of people are dealing with that. And if you are dealing with that, can I, can I encourage you this morning? I know you feel alone. I know you feel like nobody else is dealing with this the way that I am, but I can tell you after years of talking with church members, yes, they are. Yes, they are. And I want you to know there's hope, okay? There really is hope when you are overwhelmed with that emotional brokenness. The truth is we are all dealing with this heavy stuff in this life. And so regardless of the nature of your brokenness, and I do believe you have some form of brokenness, but regardless of the nature of your brokenness, here's what I sincerely believe this morning. I sincerely believe the Lord wants to help you. I do. I think God wants to help you. Now, I don't want to offer any promises that I can't back up, and so I'm not going to tell you the Lord wants to heal your body physically. I can't say that. I can't tell you the Lord will take away the anxious thoughts. I can't tell you that uh, he will mend the broken relationships in your life. But I can promise you this. He will help you. Okay? If you're his child, he will help you. I love my kids. If my kids are in trouble, if they really need help, I'm always going to be there. Their mom is always going to be there. I'm not going to say no to that. Y'all, we have a heavenly father that is better than any earthly father. And he will help you if you call out to him. The truth is we can't begin to experience that help though. We can't begin to experience that healing until we recognize that we need him. Because if you go through this life thinking, well, I got it, you know, I make enough money. I'm healthy enough. I can do what I need to do. I've got enough emotional, mental strength. Then guess what? You don't see your need for God. You need him. The second step in the process of healing we see here is to rise up by faith. Rise up by faith. Look at John's Gospel 5, beginning in verse 8. Jesus said to him, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. All right, keep in mind, this is a guy that's been crawling through the dirt. He's had people moving him from one place to the next for 38 years. And then on that day, he heard the words of the Lord Jesus, Lord of all creation. Tell him, get up, take your bed, and walk. And he did. He got up. Y'all, that's a miracle, okay? Like, even if your body was healed, 
you'd have to go through months of rehab and physical therapy and getting your legs strong enough to begin walking again. But this man gets up immediately healed and he begins walking. This man responded to the words of Jesus with faith. I recognize this is probably not going to be apples to apples the way we experience the Lord intervening in our lives. But there are some things that the Lord Jesus has spoken to us through his word, things that we can absolutely have faith in, things that we can absolutely hear, receive, and walk forward with. I want to share with you a couple of verses along these lines. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 The Apostle Paul says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Maybe you just need to put that one on repeat. Hear this child of God. Hear this brother or sister in Christ. The grace of God, it is sufficient for you. No matter if it's emotional brokenness, relational brokenness, physical brokenness, spiritual brokenness. No matter the nature of your brokenness, the grace of God is sufficient. Amen? It is absolutely sufficient. It's like that kid's song we grew up singing. They are weak, but he is strong. My kids always like to do the muscles at that part of the song. He's strong. He is and he's a good father. Let me share with you another verse. Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That verse is so important. Even if my flesh fails, even if my heart fails, even if our physical health fails, Our mental health fails. Something fails in our life, our relationship with someone we love. No matter what fails in this life, he's the strength of our heart, church. That is a promise from the word of God. And we can grab that, receive that, and walk in that. Amen? The final step we see in this process is that we rest in the word of the Lord. We rest in the word of the Lord. Okay, so track with me. This man hears the word of the Lord and then he receives it and obeys it. He does what Jesus tells him to do. Get up, take up your bed and walk. And he does exactly that. But why did this man hear Jesus tell him, take your bed and walk? The answer is pretty simple. He didn't need it anymore. He didn't need to lay there anymore. No, he had heard Jesus speak very clearly, take that and move on. Walk forward in life. And really what he was doing was he was resting in the word of the Lord. There's a picture of a tree that went viral a few years back. And I think we've got a picture of that tree today. Uh, So this is a 100-year-old mulberry tree in a small village in Europe. And if you'll notice, uh, the tree looks like a fountain right now. So here's what's going on with this tree. 
It's believed that this tree happened to grow right in the middle of a multiple century right in the middle of aqueduct system. And so this tree somehow began growing right in the middle of this stream of water. And here's what they're seeing. Over time, this tree is growing really well. It's growing really big, really strong. And it's doing that because it's connected. It's right there in the source that it needs, the source of life that it needs. As I saw that picture, I was reminded of a passage in Psalm chapter 1. In Psalm chapter 1, it describes a person, a man, that not only is familiar with God's word, they don't just read God's word, they delight in the law of the Lord, so much so that they're thinking about it. They're thinking about the word of God constantly. They're meditating on it day and night. The psalmist goes on to describe what this person's life looks like. Look at Psalm chapter 1, verse 3, up on the screen here. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. I don't know how the Lord wants to work in your life today, but in order for you to experience the Lord intervening in your life, it will absolutely require you resting in the word of the Lord. I'm not expecting us to get audible voices from God this morning, but you know what? You do have this. You do have his authoritative, inspired, inerrant word. Read it. Take the promises of God and walk forward in faith. The third part of this story is what we'll call the power of the healer. The power of the healer. Look at John 5, verse 8 again. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. So what's Jesus doing in this story? Well, one obvious thing he's doing is he's proving he's not an ordinary guy. I can walk up to somebody and say, hey, take up your bed and walk. But if they're lame and crippled, they're probably going to keep laying there. Because I can't do anything about that. But Jesus can. And Jesus reveals that he is Lord of all creation. And as he does this miracle, he, he does something similar as back on the first week of this series when we learned about the miracle where Jesus turns water into wine instantaneously. And part of what we learn about Jesus is that Jesus is better than religion. He is better than religion. Look at verse 9. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Okay, so what's going on here is there's a group of Jews that are visibly upset because of the timing of all of this. Not just that Jesus healed this man, but the fact that he healed this man on the Sabbath. So if you don't know what the Sabbath is, uh, is, in the Old Testament, there was this emphasis from God in the Ten Commandments to honor the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. And the idea was simply, hey, you've been working all week, but on the Sabbath, stop. Stop working. Rest. Not just veg out on the beach. Rest. Rest in the Lord. Direct your gaze up at him. And by the way, church, we're called to do no less. 
We are called to honor the Sabbath. We need that Sabbath rest in our week. But in the days of Jesus, men took this command and other commands, and they started tacking on other quote-unquote laws. But they weren't the law of God. And so they kept tacking on so much so that they tacked on 39 categories that were not in the Word of God, ways that you could violate God's law. So you couldn't cook on the Sabbath, according to these rule givers, these men. And some of you are like, that sounds nice. I don't want to cook today, right? You couldn't sew. You couldn't hunt. You couldn't fish. You couldn't do anything that remotely resembles work. And so this guy is carrying a mat on the Sabbath, a thing that he's been laying on for 38 years. And the Jews see him walking around with this mat. They're like, you can't do that. That's work. And they ask him, they say, why are you doing that? You can't do that. And they, he says in verse 11, he says, well, <laughs> that guy told me to. He healed me. I'm going to listen to him, right? And this man valued the words of the Lord more than he valued their words. Lastly, we see that he is equal with God. Look at John 5, 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Y'all, that's a big statement. Jesus making himself equal with God. By the way, that's not what he, what he was doing, because the truth is he was equal with God. Look at Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus was equal with God. But what did Jesus do? He willingly let go of that equality. He came down to this earth. He suffered willingly. He died on the cross willingly, his sinless blood being shed to make payment for your sins and my sins. And then he was raised from the dead and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And why did he do that? Before we get there, look at verse 9 of Philippians 2. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. The whole point of this miracle the whole point of John's gospel is to point to Jesus that's the point the miracles are not the point in and of themselves the point is to learn who Jesus is and then in John's gospel 5 verse 24 Jesus clarifies here's why he's doing the miracles in the first place here you go truly truly I say to you Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Once again, the miracles aren't the point. Jesus did the miracles so that they would take him seriously as the son of God. That they would serve as signs to reveal their greatest need. And by the way, this man's greatest need was not to be healed from being lame. Our greatest need is not to be able to see when we're blind. Our greatest need is not even to get over anxiety and depression. Our greatest 
need, church, is the healing of our souls. Check out this verse, and we'll wrap up. 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been what? Healed. By his wounds, you have been healed. That's not talking about healing your legs. It's not talking about healing your eyesight. It's not talking about healing your bad back. It is talking about the healing of your souls. Because we've been diseased by sin. And it's a fatal, eternally fatal disease. And the only cure is Christ. As we continue working our way through this study, we're going to be reminded over and over again, it's all about Jesus. It really is. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes at this time. We're going to enter into a time where we have an opportunity to respond to God's word. We've been learning about many forms of brokenness. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd like to pray for anyone here who is saying, I'm feeling brokenness. I'm overwhelmed, and I need a touch from the Lord. I need his helping hand. If that's you, with heads bowed, eyes closed, if you want to say, just pray for me, please, you can lift your hand. Yes, 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 yes. Lord, you see these hands? Their brokenness might look different than this man that was lame for 38 years. But you know their brokenness. And you know how hard and overwhelming it is for them. And Lord, I pray for even those that did not lift their hands this morning. Father, we need you. We're in a fallen world. We feel the brokenness. We need your help. And God, we thank you that you have ultimately healed our souls through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand.